Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you think you've seen what the wizards down in our shop can do, and then they kick it up to a whole new level. Um, we're starting a brand new series today called Jonah, and so it could be, why Jonah, you might ask? Here we are in June, and, and uh, why will we be talking about Jonah? Well, we don't have too many traditions at New Spring. We're more inclined to break tradition than we are to have one, but we really do have one that's 25 years old now. Um, as of last Thursday, I've been at New Spring for 29 years, and when I came here, I was a young preacher, and um, I, I never want to push back against God, but I've always been one to push back against what I've been told about church. And one thing I've heard through the years growing up and being a young pastor was that in the summer, you always like just back off. You don't push as hard during the summer. But, and I just think to myself, do we need God less during the summer? Um, is, can we just have a vacation from God? And I'm thinking, no, the, I've lived in Kansas by that time long enough to know that the days are longer, days are warmer. So I just felt like you ought to gear up in the summer. And so I started preaching a summer series. Of course, now I'm in series all the time. But back in the day, we did a summer series. And, and I would just try to bring something special during the month of June. And that's a historic thing now for 25 years. Second thing I want to say to you is I never planned to preach on Jonah this year. Actually, I did several years ago in a series called Running. But in March, in my private devotions, I was reading through the book of Jonah, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, but for me, it happens from time to time. I'm reading the Bible, and even though I may have read this book 20, 30 times before, it's like it's just new and fresh, like I've never read it before. And I would read lines from Jonah, it was almost as if they were flashing in neon. I don't mean that really, but I mean, it was just, they were really capturing my attention. And finally, I just said, okay, God, I have a sense that you want me to talk about Jonah at New Spring. And so that's why I'm preaching this particular series at this time. Now, as we go through Jonah, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm, on a, I'm going to ask you to bring your Bibles with you or to bring an electronic device uh, that has a Bible app on it where you can go through the book with me. Jonah's a short book. It only has four chapters, and they're short at that. So for somebody like me who has ADD, it's a great book to read. And, and really, and just for uh, heads up, New Springers, there are going to be a couple of benefits out of this series. Not only are we going to learn a lot about Jonah, but I think we're going to learn a lot about how to study a book of the Bible or how to go through a book in the Bible and pick up the key lessons that we need to pick up. So it's almost two for the price of one as we look at Jonah. Now, hey, I know what's behind me. There's a well there. And a lot of us grew up in church, grew up in Sunday school. Oh, we've heard the story of Jonah and the well. And it's almost like the book is about Jonah and the well. And there are people that think that this is a mythological story because the idea of a well swallowing Jonah seems to be too far-fetched to be true. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But can I say this? This is not a book about a well swallowing a guy. That's about that much of the book of Jonah. Let me tell you what Jonah is about. This is the reason for those of you who walked in and you thought, oh, we're going to have a kid series here in, at New Spring, which, by the way, that's not a bad thing either. But it, it could be that you're saying, is there anything that really relates to me as an adult in 2014? Let me tell you what Jonah's about. Jonah is the story of the ups and downs in the life of a God follower. That is what this book is about. And for that reason, I don't know, when I read the book of Jonah, it's my story. And I know that some of you, you know, ever since you began to follow God, you've just been climbing on an unimpeded path. But some of us know what it's like, even within the span of a week, to have up days and down days. You know, I, don't, I never started playing golf till I was in my mid-30s. And I don't play much now, but there was a time when I played more. And golf is a game that will have you talking to yourself. Because you go out, and, and am I wrong or right, golfers? You go out, and you'll have a round, and you think, I have this game down. It's like I finally have it. I finally got, I've got my swing, a groove. I mean, I've got this game down. And then you go out three days later, it's like I've never had a club in my hand before. 
And, and, and to me, the Christian life can be that way. I mean, I'll have a day and I'll wake up and it's like I just feel the presence of God and there's, I feel so easy expressing the love of God to people and forgiving people and ministering to people. I'll just have this day and I'll think, oh, I've got, I'm finally getting this Christian life down. And then I'll wake up one day and I'll be out of sorts, as we used to say in the old days, and I'll be cranky with people and, and it's like, wow, am I really a God follower? You ever have weeks like that? And then I think there are seasons in our lives where we, for, for a season, we're really growing in our relationship with God, and then we may have seasons where we cool off for a while. So if you're one of those normal human beings like me who has those ups and down moments in following God, I think the book of Jonah is going to be very significant to you. Now, let me deal with the whale thing. You know, somebody could say, and I've had people tell me this, trying, I guess, to be cute, I just can't swallow the book of Jonah. If you're one of those people who's saying, I just don't think that the story of Jonah can be true, and really it kind of comes down to the idea, can there be a sea creature who could swallow a human being and that person live for three days? I am of the belief that God can do whatever he wants to do. If he can bring his son back to life after him being dead three days, I, I just sort of assume he can do whatever he wishes. But here's the thing. Just for anybody here who would say, well, I, re I reject the story of Jonah out of hand because I think it's mythological. You have to realize this, that if you do that, you're also rejecting the credibility of another very important person because somebody with huge cred talked honestly about Jonah. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus said, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. Does that sound like someone referring back to a mythological story? Because Jesus is saying there are some real people on judgment day who will, have, who will be in heaven because they reacted to the preaching of Jonah, whose very presence there will condemn the people in Jesus' day who rejected his message. That doesn't sound like someone referring to a myth. But just in case we could get past that one, look at this. In Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said, As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, you just listen to Jesus tie Judgment Day, the veracity of Judgment Day to the veracity of Jonah. And beyond that, you actually heard Jesus refer to his resurrection and the veracity of his resurrection as a coming promise to the reality of the book of Jonah. So if I'm going to reject Jonah, I have to reject Jesus, and that's not something I'm prepared to do. Okay, but today we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that kind of thing. I want to focus on the fact that you and I as God followers can have a season of rebellion in our lives. I have been there, and you may have been there from time to time, and somebody could be there today. It's just something about following God, that if we're not careful, we'll get off the track and we'll begin to go the opposite direction. With that in mind, let me bring you a talk today. It's not my favorite talk in the series. The good ones come later. But let me bring you a talk called The Runaway. And right up front, I want you to open your Bible to Jonah chapter 1 or your electronic device. Come into Jonah 1 because here's the thing. If you've got a real Bible, I want you to be able to mark this. One of the things I love to do is take a Bible and a mechanical pencil and just mark things that stand out to me. That way, when I read it next year, I'll see what stood out to me and I'll review that lesson. If you're reading an electronic device, most of them have the opportunity to highlight things. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Because maybe as I read this book, something will stand out to you that didn't stand out to me. Here we go. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. Let's meet him. Jonah's a God follower. And more than that, he's a prophet. 
Modern day equivalent, we would say he is a pastor or a minister. And when we meet Jonah, you should know that up to this point, life has been easy for him, both as a God follower and as a minister, because God has used Jonah as a spokesman to tell people what they want to hear. God's Israel is going to go into captivity in about 80 years because of their sin. But they are in a time of prosperity and blessing. And God has good news for Israel. And since Jonah is his prophet, God has given Jonah messages that have been very popular with the people. Specifically, Israel had lost some land. It, 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 captors had come and taken land away. And God was going to restore it to them, which would enhance the prosperity of the whole nation. So you can imagine when Jonah came out and said, hey, everybody, I have a message from God, and it's a message that we're going to be more prosperous than ever, and then it came to pass. You can imagine Jonah is everybody's favorite minister. I mean, he's got photo ops at the White House. He's got people meeting him on the street. Jonah, would you sign this for me? Would you sign my hat? I mean, he is a celebrity because he is a minister who's had an easy life. His name means dove. I think he's a peacemaking kind of guy. And so up till now, everything has been easy. It would be like those of you who are in management when you have to call somebody into your office and they're terrified and you just say, hey, I've got some news for you. We're going to raise your pay by 25%. Oh, you hear that person go, I love her. <laughs> I, I, I just love him. That's the bearer of good news. And that's been Jonah. So God comes along to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I have a new assignment for you. And Jonah is going, great. This is going to be good. I'm going to go out and tell people more good stuff that they want to hear. Now, that's in verse 2. God says to Jonah, get up, which indicates, you know what? Here's the thing. When life is easy for us, don't we tend to get just a little sedentary? So I find it significant that God says to Jonah, hey, before I give you this and you get on this, you need to get up, Jonah, because you're getting a little flabby. I want you to get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. What? Nineveh. Nineveh's not in Israel. Hey, this is something that won't come into play today, but it'll come into play later. Jonah's view of the world is like an old TV western, that there are good guys and bad guys. That's how Jonah sees the world. By the way, that's a real dangerous way for you and me to see the world. If we think that there's some good people who are like us, and we think there's some bad people who are not like us, we won't have any room for God to work in our lives. Because a lot of times, a lot of the people that we think are good, when we get to know them better, we'll find out they're not as good as we think they are. And some of those people you think are bad and can never change, God can come into their life and turn them 180 degrees. Well, see, Jonah's got this idea there are good people, and that's us, and there are bad people on the outside. And God comes to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to some of those really bad people. Well, let me introduce Nineveh to you. Nineveh's the greatest city in the world in these days. It's 500 miles, west, uh, 500 miles east, and not only is it a big city, it's especially big by ancient days. It, it's 60 miles around, 120,000 kids. We think there's somewhere between 600,000 and a million total population by ancient standards. That's a mammoth city, biggest in the world in those days. It was the center of science, technology, and culture. Man, it was a fast place. Money was being made. Things were happening. It was the happening place. But the only problem with Nineveh was it is the wickedest city maybe in the history of the world. Um, several things about Nineveh. They delighted in inventing new ways to torture people. We got lunch coming up in a few moments, so I'm going to try to be real genteel about this. But several of their favorite things to do were to gouge out people's eyes. 
Oh, a real Nineveh thing was to skin people alive and while they were dying, use their skin to cover up the wall or furniture. They cut people's body parts off. They worshiped a fish god, so they loved to put hooks in people's lips and lead them around town. And the, the walls outside the city of Nineveh were 100 feet tall. They were so wide, they say you could drive three chariots abreast. But outside the main gate of the city, there was a mountain of skulls, a mountain literally of skulls and bones that they put out there to just say to anybody who might come into the city of Nineveh, don't bring anything in that makes us unhappy. That's Nineveh. And that's where God has told Jonah to go, to the bad guys. Hey, Nahum, you may not have read Nahum or not. He's one of the minor prophets. But Nahum also writes about Nineveh, and he gives us six descriptive statements that helps me understand where God has sent Jonah. Nahum says it's a city of blood. It was full of lies. It was never without victims. That there are piles of dead bodies without number. And I don't understand this fifth, fifth thing, but I, I think if I put two and two together, it might come to me. Nahum said all of this, all of this violence was over twisted sex and the occult. And the sixth thing, Nahum said someday Nineveh will be destroyed and nobody will grieve. Those are six descriptive statements of the city that God has sent Jonah to. God says, go there and announce that I'm going to destroy them. Now, I know. Hey. It's 2014. And somebody can say, Mark, you just brought a 2,800-year-old 2800 story to people in 2014. What does this have to do with us? Okay, here's where this is going to intersect you and me. Someday, following God is going to become difficult. Someday, when you follow God, you're going to be asked to obey him and do something that is challenging and uncomfortable. You know, a lot of times I get to be like Jonah. I get to tell you, Things that you want to hear. Things that I want to hear. I mean, many times, five times a week, I step on stage and tell you, God loves you unconditionally. Do you want to go to heaven? That's a free gift. It isn't something you can earn. It isn't something that you're religious to get. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever, I can tell you that no matter what you've done, God loves you. And if you ask him, he'll forgive you and make you his child and is free and doesn't cost you anything. I love that. I get to tell you that all the time. That's good. And I can tell you that no matter what you're going through, God is there. And he loves you unconditionally and he wants the best for you. We want to hear that. But sometimes I'm going to have to talk to you about what God wants you to do and it'll be difficult. It'll be uncomfortable. It'll be challenging. You know, Jesus made this point. You know, it's free, of course, to be saved. But he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Like I say, there are a lot of people that want hell insurance. But following Jesus is a different thing. Because that involves obedience. And obeying God a lot of times is very pleasant. A lot of things that God asks us to do are for, you know, our benefit. But there will be times and moments in our life when God asks us to obey him. And it will be uncomfortable, just like it was for Jonah. It will be uncomfortably challenging. It will be difficult. And guys, there will always be two issues. The first one I've already referred to, it'll be hard. I mean, Jonah's like, how am I going to go to Nineveh? I mean, there are a million people there. How am I going to walk in and get everybody's attention? It's going to be hard. And the second thing is, this is a big one. It will make no sense. It will make no sense at all. But there are two things about these moments. The first one is, these are the moments that make life worth living. 
When God comes along to you and he asks you either in his word or he asks you by his spirit to do something that's difficult and uncomfortable, those will be the defining moments that decide your life. We would never even know about Jonah if God had to ask him to do this. He would just be another flabby preacher that told people what they wanted to hear. But you know what? We're talking about him today, 2,800 years later. Even people who aren't God followers know the story of Jonah. It is these moments when God comes to you to ask you to get out of your comfort zone and do the difficult thing. It will be the things that, these will be the events that write your story. Last Thursday, I've been at New Spring 29 years. And I can't believe it happened. I mean, it's just gone so fast. But this is a true statement. When I was an 18-year-old junior in college, on my way to chapel one day, I was talking to Mary Alice long before we got married, but we were on our way to chapel, and I said to her, I will go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. <laughs> That's a fact. And I said that out of ignorance, and I regret that. That was a very bigoted thing to say. I was a typical Texan, and you know that you can always tell a Texan, but you can't tell them anything, and that's sort of where I was. And I meant that. I meant it. I just said, I will go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. And later on, I was on the board of directors for my college, and I had to be back there many times during the year. And we were, when I told Muriel, I said, we were walking by a little white wrought iron bench on our way to chapel. And after I'd been here for years and I was on the board of the college, we'd go back to that bench and laugh about the fact that I had said at that very point, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. And yet after 29 years, outside of my wife and my, my, my kids, this church is the love of my life. See, it's written my story. It was difficult, it was uncomfortable. I said no for three years before I came here. But it's, it's been the joy of my life. And as hard as it is to believe, I think I've actually become a Kansan after all these years. <laughs> because the other day I was listening to somebody rip Kansas and I was defensive. Somebody was calling us flyover country in, in Dullesville, and I, I thought, I take offense at that. So I guess after all these years, I've become a Kansan. Here's what Jesus said when he talked about these moments that are difficult and uncomfortable when it comes to making our story. Jesus said this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But Jesus said, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You will bank it. Here's the simple reality. If you decide, I'm going to live my life for whatever makes me comfortable, whatever makes me pleased, whatever makes me feel good. If you live your life that way, and I love you enough to tell you this, someday you will get to the end of your life and you will not know why the heck you lived. Somebody will have your funeral, they'll put you in a casket, or they'll burn your body up and put it in an urn, and they'll go out and eat potato salad together, and, they'll, and then they'll leave you there, and, and you won't even know why you lived. Only the people who respond to the challenging things that God puts before them have a story to tell. And honestly, before the 4 o'clock service yesterday, I told myself, you know, maybe the smartest thing I could do in this message is just to stand before you for 30 minutes and make this statement over and over and over and over again. Aren't you glad I didn't do that? That would be really annoying. <laughs> but here's the statement. Just because we don't understand what God's up to doesn't mean he's wrong. Just because we don't understand God doesn't mean that he's wrong. I've had people ask me through the years so many times questions. It's like, because I don't understand God, therefore he must be wrong. One of the ones that I've been asked so many times is somebody who said, well, hey, Mark, if God knew that Adam was going to sin, why did he even make human beings? It's like, because I don't understand that, he's wrong. 
I mean, has it crossed our mind that he's the genius of the universe? He may be working in a much higher calculus than we get. And, and so when God came to Jonah and God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that if they don't turn, I'm going to destroy them. First of all, Jonah's saying, and that would be a bad thing. But you have to realize Jonah didn't understand that at all. It didn't make any sense. And put yourself in the moment for Jonah. Because here's, here's what he's thinking. God, they're evil. You are going to destroy them. I'm going to go there and preach. They're going to find some creative way to torture and kill me. And you're still going to destroy them. And the only thing that I can see that's happening here is you're going to make a point and I'm going to die. Right? I mean, isn't that what Jonah's thinking? If you put yourself in his place, I'm going to go there. They're going to kill me. You will have made your point. You're still going to destroy them. What's the point of me going there? It doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing that you and I know. We have the rest of the book. We know that Jonah goes there, and when he preaches, the whole city amazingly turns to God. Hey, you heard Jesus say a moment ago, there will be people in heaven because of what Jonah did. See, just because we don't understand what God's up to doesn't mean he's wrong. I mean, God has asked me to do a lot of things that are uncomfortable. I mean, I, I honestly, got, you know, we had an offering a few moments ago. God says the tenth belongs to him. I don't give the tithe, I bring the tithe. And we're else tonight, we bring 10% of what we earn and we give it back to the Lord. I don't understand how that I can bring 10% of my income plus and bring it to God and then God gives me more than I ever would have had in the first place. Don't understand that. I just know. He said, if I will bring him the 10th, he will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings I'm not able to receive. I don't understand him. When God tells me that if I want to be elevated in life, I need to humble myself. I don't get that. I just know it's true. I don't understand why when God says, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. I don't understand how being a servant makes you a leader, but I know it's true. And on and on it goes. Well, God says to Jonah, I want you to go. And Jonah says, no. Chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read it. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. One thing I've watched through the years is being a leader and working with a lot of people. Is that sometimes when people tell God no, it isn't enough for them to just tell God no in that specific area. It's like they decide they're going to prove to God that they're right, and then they go hard in the opposite direction. But all this time, and again, I'm just kind of reading between the lines here. I think Jonah is vacillating back and forth between two emotions. One emotion while he's going the opposite direction, he's scared to death God's going to do something about it. And then secondly, he's got rationalization going on. Hey, I'm right to do this. Jonah's got an alternative plan. God said, go 500 miles east to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I think I feel like going to Spain, which is the furthest known destination west. So all this time, Jonah's thinking, God's going to strike me with lightning. You ever have that feeling? You're somewhere you shouldn't be with somebody you shouldn't be with, doing something you shouldn't do, and it's like... I'm waiting for the lightning bolt anytime. <laughs> so Jonah, Jonah goes down to Joppa, and it's like, hmm, there's a ship going to Spain. I believe I'll buy a ticket. So all this time he goes over to the travel agent, and he's putting his money down. He's you know, got his debit card there for the ticket, and he's like, at any moment, I'm going to get struck with lightning. And But the transaction goes through, and now Jonah has a ticket. 
well, God's going to strike me with lightning if I get on the boat. So he walks up the game plate, waiting for their lightning to strike. And no lightning strikes. Wow. You know what? Maybe this is going to work. He goes up and gets in a bed on the boat, and the boat's gently rocking. And Jonah says, hey, I'm going to get by with this. Why do I go here? I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in my office across from some guy, a Christian guy, who just decided that it would be the smart thing to leave his faithful, godly wife and his good kids because some gal down at work makes him happy. And that clown is sitting in my office saying, Mark, I prayed about this, and I feel that it's God's will. After all, God loves me. He wants me to be happy. Now, I've never slapped anybody. <laughs> Actually, I don't want to slap them. I want to cold cock them. I mean, but, but I did it. You know, I've prayed about this. Or <laughs> talk to some lady, it's like, you know, my husband just doesn't meet my needs. And, you know, on the Internet, I just, uh, on, in social media, I, I, I connected with this guy I went to high school with. And, and you know, Mark, you know, it's like we, we I haven't seen him in 30 years, but it's like we just picked up right where we left off. And now it's, you know, Mark, there's nothing physical. It's just an emotional affair. Every time I hear that, I always discount it by 50%. <laughs> it's nothing physical. It's just an emotional affair. Affair because he just reaches me at a place that my husband doesn't reach me. And here's the one thing that they all want to tell me. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Because I'm just telling them, like I've told you so many times. I, I don't know how many times I've said this in my office. Nobody flips God off and wins. God is very big. And, and so please, don't do that. It's not going to... How many times have I said in my office as I've pleaded with somebody on behalf of their, them, their wives, their husbands, their children... Pleaded with them and said, look, this isn't going to end well. And I have had them sit across from me and assure me it is going to end well. God is okay with this. I know because look how far I've gone and I'm not having any trouble. In fact, Mark, I feel more peace than I've ever felt before. If I'm talking to anybody here today and you bought your ticket for Spain, and you boarded the ship, and you're gently rocking in the boat, drinking strawberry daiquiris, and you're saying, I'm gonna get by with this. I tell you with every bit of love in my heart, a storm is coming. You do not flip God off and win. Nobody has ever done it. A storm is on the way. Well, here's Jonah. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's running from God. He's on a boat headed for Spain. Uh, Jonah 1.4 says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Just a couple of Hebrew words. The word storm, there's the Hebrew word for hurricane. Break the ship apart means the ship was about to explode. This is not your normal Mediterranean storm where the sailors were afraid of sinking. I mean, they're in a hurricane at any moment. They feel like this ship is going to explode into matchsticks. You know, there's a strange thing about running from God. There's a strange thing about having a season of disobedience. I've kind of hinted at it so far, but, you know, when, when you and I begin to run from God and we think, oh, it's going to work out okay, and we're making these elective decisions, isn't it strange, and I've been at this very point, isn't it strange how that we start off thinking we're in control, and then there's that click, and you wake up one morning and you realize you have no control at all. 
Up till now, you've been picking what ship you're going to get on. You've been buying the ticket. You've been setting your destination. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out for me. I'm going to get by with this. And then click. You wake up one morning, you have no control, zero control. And that's what happened to Jonah. And here's the thing that I think all of us who are parents especially should really pay attention to because one of the things that happens when we go into a storm of our own making, we never go in by ourselves. We always bring innocent people into our storm. So many of these guys and gals that I talked to you about that I've talked to through the years, they've said, well, Mark, this isn't going to hurt anybody but me. And I'm like thinking, it's going to hurt your children. Oh, they're going to be okay. Really? Any child of God who runs from God and goes into a storm always takes innocent people into the storm with them. In Jonah's case, it's the other mariners. Read it with me. Now we're in Jonah 1.5. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. Now look at this. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted, and, and how this must have resonated to Jonah. Get up. Now, see, God told him to get up earlier. Now, this time, the captain's pagan captain of a ship is saying, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And the crew rolled the dice to see whose fault it was. They're, they're a bunch of pagans. They worship idol gods. Jonah worships a true God. Don't you find it significant? And this is interesting. When people get in trouble, they want to pray. And so these poor mariners think they're going to die, and they're all praying to their gods. They tell Jonah, you should get up and pray to your God. Is there any other God follower here who's found it very embarrassing to get a lecture on following God from somebody who doesn't even follow God? Because, you know, here's the thing. A lot of times, if you're a God follower, you have friends who don't follow God, but they want you to follow God. Because who knows, they may change their mind someday, and when they do change their mind, they know somebody who follows God. And when you don't follow God, it freaks them out and scares them to death. And so that's, that's what happened to John. I mean, you got, the, you got these pagan sailors praying, and they're saying to this runaway God follower, you need to pray. I've told this story way too many times. It's a true story, though. I think it happened in Texas. There was a church that was situated right next door to a tavern. And the drunks there would get loud and crazy, and a lot of bad things would happen, and inter interrupt the church. And, and so the people in the church... <laughs> Decided one night to have an all-night prayer meeting that God would do something about this dive, this tavern was next to them. Sure enough, a few nights later, lightning struck, burned the tavern down. Tavern owner sued the church in court. He claimed they prayed and caused his tavern to burn down. Well, the church lawyered up. And, of course, the lawyers told him to say, hey, our prayers didn't have anything to do with that tavern burning down. And the judge is reading the briefs in court. And he said, well, I don't know how I'm going to decide. But he said, there's two inescapable facts. First of all, the tavern owner believes in prayer and the church doesn't. <laughs> Isn't it embarrassing when you're a God follower and you're acting out of character. Somebody's not even a God follower. It's like, aren't God followers supposed to do this? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to take this story to a good place today because that's for future weeks. And we're probably going to end on a low note today because we're talking about a guy running from God. But here's the positive thing. Although Jonah doesn't feel it yet, this story is beginning to turn. His situation is about to turn around and go the right direction. And it happens with the smallest thing. 
Hey, I've been here. Have you ever run from God and you thought, okay, God will never have anything to do with me anymore. God's finished with me. My life is over. And then God shows up in the smallest little thing. And it's like, oh, he's still there. And in Jonah's case, of all things, it was a couple of dice. Oh, you know, the sailors, they're pagans. They don't know anything. They just are hoping to roll the dice and see if the dice say it's somebody's fault. And when they roll the dice, let's read it. The Bible says, uh, I'm going I'm to skip Psalm 139.7, guys, up in the tech room. You can read that when you go home. The crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Now, for them, it's just a random roll of the dice. Jonah knows why he's come up in the dice. God has managed this particular role. And these sailors look at Jonah now, and they say, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Now, again, I want you to put yourself in the moment with Jonah, because Jonah thinks he's dead. God's going to kill him. This whole storm... God sent the storm to kill him. His life is going to be over. Now, I love this about Jonah because even though he has ups and downs, Jonah seems to be an honest guy. I love this about him. He sort of says what's on his heart. He doesn't hide his emotions. And you're looking at a guy right now who realizes he's about to die and he's caused his death, but he's saying to himself, I may have got here by running from God, but at least I'm going to die telling the truth. And he winds up saying the two things that God wanted to hear him say all along. Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. 365 days a year, I think about this verse. It is one of the most important verses in my Bible. Now, I modified a little bit because I live in a different era. But day after day, I say to myself, I am a Christian, and I fear God. Why is that important? Because every day of my life, this crazy world tries to summon me and seduce me into doing things that would be against my God. I get, I get pulled toward lust. I get pulled toward anger. I get pulled toward greed. I get pulled toward selfishness. I get pulled toward self-interest. I get pulled toward unforgiveness. And when these moments of temptation come, I cannot tell you how many times I say in my heart, I am a Christian and I fear God. That is why I do what I do. That is why I don't do this. I am a Christian and I fear God. I just think there's something about that confessional statement that just solves so many questions that deals with so many problems. Look, it's not complicated. I'm a Christian and I fear God. And I think poor Jonah was saying to these sailors, look, I know I don't look like a God follower right now, but I really am. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not in character right now, but really this is who I truly am. Jonah is saying to them, guys, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just running from God. I'm a Hebrew and I fear God. And now let me show you the second thing that God was waiting to hear from him. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. Verse 10. For he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. And here it is. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Guys, in 2014, we in America made a cottage industry in blaming other people for our wrongdoing. I mean, you know... I, I know I'm, I'm a psychopath because I didn't get the blue bicycle I wanted when I was five years old. <laughs> and my mama didn't give me a puppy. I wanted a puppy, and I didn't get a puppy. 
you know, and it was, it was because of school I went to, it was because, it's because of the person I married, and it's because of my in-laws, and it's because of my boss, and it's law enforcement, it's the teacher's fault, it's the coach's fault, it's always somebody else's fault. Hey, you know what, sometimes you just woman up, you just man up, and you say, I know this storm is all my fault. I mean, not all storms are our fault. Sometimes we sell into storms that we don't make. But there are times, I think, when we can draw a pretty straight line between our conduct and the storm we're in. And at that moment, it's a good thing to say, I know that this storm is all my fault. Jonah said, I'm taking responsibility. Well, the sailors don't want to throw Jonah overboard, but they try to row and get to land, but they can't. Finally, they just, they pray and say, God, don't hold us responsible for this man's sin. So many times I've told you this, I hope God kept this stuff on DVD or files or whatever heaven's technology is. Maybe we get to relive it. It would be really cool, except it wouldn't be cool for Jonah. But uh, <laughs> I just want to, there's a particular moment I want to see when I get to heaven. Um, you remember when you were kids, somebody's throwing you in a swimming pool or in the water? You know how one of them would grab you by the hands and another one grab you by the feet and they swing you back and forth to get the momentum up for you to fly into the pool? So I see Jonah. The storm's going on. One of these sailors has him by the hands. The other has him by the feet. They're swinging him back and forth. And Jonah's thinking, I'm going to be dead. It's just, just a matter, it's just a matter of minutes, maybe seconds now. They're going to throw me out of this. And now they've thrown him, and he's flying through the air. I see him flying through the air thinking, my life will be over in a moment. I'll hit the water. I'll sink below the water. My lungs will fill up with water, and I will drown. Nothing else at least can happen to me. That is always a very dumb thing to say. Because as soon as he goes under the water, folks, it's too late. Well, the great fish, whatever it was, came swallowed Jonah. It was the opposite of sushi. I've seen a fish about this close and it wouldn't believe me, so I lied to him. The Bible says that God finally answered it for Jonah. It was the fish's total three days and three nights. You know, if you wanted to, you could go to history and say God is vindictive. He's had a runaway, had a runaway prophet, he's had a runaway death, had a run. God is going to punish him by sending this very similar man to his destroyer. That's what's scary. You know, God's been such a misunderstanding. God's been such a big fish. Because God's been such a self-centered and self-humiliating son that we're making you a God of when you try to get your hands in the Word. And they're failing. And you're living out of your joy in the Word. And now you're in sin. Now you're in a vicious circle. You need to know that that was all about nothing. It was God saying, to Jonah, I love you too much to let you down. I love you too much. Next week, but God willing, before you do, please get a God update.